welcome to the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle Pellison-Lipsitz, your co-host in the Head Witch in Charge here at Holisticism, and I'm delighted that you're tuning in to our podcast today. Thanks for joining us. We're a place on the internet, a little corner, a web of the internet, if you will, where we talk about mystical productivity, what it is to be an intuitive entrepreneur, and really how our sacred work, capital S, capital W, how we do it and stay sane and stay magical. All the things, especially those of us with squiggly brains, as we like to call them, those of us who maybe identify as neurodivergent or hyperintuitive or super creative or nonlinear thinkers. It seems like a lot of the rules that are created for, you know, everyone else out there don't exactly work for us. So that's what this podcast is all about. It's about finding those alternative solutions or trying them on, introducing them to you so you can feel them out for yourself and decide if maybe that's what you want to practice for the foreseeable future as you evolve and, you know, self-actualize. No big deal. <laughs> Just light stuff over here at the 12th House Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. Sadly, I'm here by myself. Usually my co-host Wallace is with us, but you get a little solo episode with me today. It's like old times. And I want to talk about what happens and how to get unstuck or sort of the breakout of analysis paralysis when we're at the beginning of a project or a creative undertaking or we're about to start a business or maybe we're in a place in our lives where we know things need to shift, but we just get overwhelmed <laughs> with everything that needs to change. I feel like the beginning of the school year is always a good time to review this concept because there's so much forward energy. There's so much, you know, Staples, Office Max, getting new binder paper energy in the air, which is a really good thing in my opinion. And and that can sometimes make us feel like maybe we're grasping at the air for where exactly we need to go next. In the past, you know, in our school years, we got a syllabus. We got a set of classes we were going to take. We we, we knew what was coming next, right? We knew what to expect and also exactly what we needed to do, how to follow the rules, how to be good, how to not be embarrassing, or how to make sure that we sort of like skirted under, under the line out of people's eyesight or awareness just by like doing what we were supposed to do by following a specific set of rules. But like I mentioned at the top of this episode, maybe now you've realized <laughs> that those rules that maybe work really well for everyone else don't exactly work for you. Or they work for, you know, defect deflecting energy away from you. They work to help you not be seen. They work to help you sort of skate through life or exist in life, sort of just like an automaton going and going and going, but not really living. So maybe you're feeling, I don't know, like, where's the fucking map? We're going to talk about that in today's episode. Before we do, I just wanted to say thank you to all of our wonderful listeners and thank you to our podcast sponsor, Flowdesk. Flowdesk is an email service provider that honestly is fucking awesome for anyone, small business owner, entrepreneur, creator, shop owner, email newsletter writer, whoever you are, Flowdesk is honestly, it's the tits. It's the best. I've been using Flowdesk at Holisticism, oh my gosh, probably now for almost the last five years. And it's 
I can't imagine going back to another email service provider. I've worked with really big email service providers at previous jobs. Even when I started Holisticism, I started on ConvertKit and then went over to MailChimp. And when I found Flowdesk, it was like, oh, I could breathe again. One thing that I love about Flowdesk is that they don't charge you as you grow. They don't penalize you for growing. Most email service providers like MailChimp or ConvertKit or AWeber, whatever, as you grow your list, you'll get charged more money for holding that list on that email platform. Flowdesk is just one flat fee and it's actually so affordable. So if you use the code Holisticism or if you go to flowdesk.com backslash Holisticism, you will get Flowdesk for one year for $19 a month, which is 50% off. So you'll get 50% off for an entire year. It's super affordable. That's four kombuchas and it's worth it. Trust me. Not only have our open rates and conversion rates always, always outperformed any other email service provider we've used when we use Flowdesk, but it makes it so easy for for me to put together an email really quickly without a graphic designer, just me and my computer. So if you want to try out Flowdesk, you can use the code Holisticism at checkout. All right, let's get into today's episode. So if you're feeling analysis paralysis, if you're feeling like you don't know how to get started, first off, there might be a couple of things going on, right? We get stuck at the beginning of any creative project. And I just want you to imagine or sort of like clock for yourself, where in your life are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like almost you're on the precipice of something? It's almost like when you're on a rope swing, right? And and you jump on it and you hold on to it too tight and, and you, you never let go. And then you get rope burn on the inside of your thighs. It's embarrassing. It's horrible. If you're feeling like that, maybe some point in, at some point in your life, in some area of your life, I just want you to clock it and notice what might be the reason that you're getting stuck here. One of the first reasons is maybe it might be obvious. We don't really know where to start, right? We want to be perfect. We've been programmed by society to be perfect, to not be too loud, to not be too much, to not be too messy, to be simple, to be easy to understand, to be perfect in the eyes of other people. So we want to wait until things are perfect before we begin, which they never are, by the way. This can also be a symptom of ADHD or of a squiggly brain. Often people with ADHD or squiggly brains need perfect internal and external environments in order to feel functional. So the room has to be the exact right temperature and there has to be just the right amount of noise. They have to be also very calm internally. Maybe if we're anxious about something or we got distracted by a conversation with our partner earlier in the day, all of a sudden our working conditions become impossible. We need to create these almost perfect internal and external environments in order to get anything done because we are so easily distracted. I'm speaking from the eye here. This is totally me. So maybe you identify with this perfectionism as being the reason that you can't get started. The second reason that we get stuck at the beginning is that we get overwhelmed because we have too much information. Ugh, have you ever done that? Have you ever like gone in a deep dive rabbit hole and all of a sudden you're like one hour of research turns into two weeks of research and everything that you thought you knew, <laughs> you're like, now I'm just like more lost. I'm currently in the middle of reading a couple baby books. Honestly, I had to put a, I had to put them down because the more I read, I was like, the more confusing. This is more confusing. <laughs> I felt like good before I got started on this journey. I felt 
trusting in my intuition and in my partner. And now all of this is making me second guess what I think I know and what I feel. So kind of to put everything down, got a little overwhelmed, maybe had a, had a couple tears. It's okay. <laughs> but this happens to us, especially if we maybe have some perfectionist tendencies. I think especially Virgo season can be a time where we like to deep dive into the research. But just remember, overwhelm is what happens when we move beyond the feeling of challenge and excitement. When we are challenged and excited, we are in flow state. When we step just past that, like a smidgen past that line, we get easily into overwhelm because we don't feel well-resourced enough to take on that challenge. If we don't feel well-resourced enough to take on the challenge in front of us, we might search for external validation in terms of data, research, other people telling us what to do. And all those voices can cloud our own internal compass. And then finally, the third reason that we get stuck at the beginning is because we get we feel anxious to get started. You know, we just want to be done. It's very uncomfortable to feel stuck or to feel like you don't know what the right answer is or what the right direction is. And for some of us, we might want to shove off those feelings of discomfort as quickly as possible. Just finished up teaching magical monetization. And in it, we talk about how quickly we often go through transactions that have to deal with money. Like, cause we, because working with money is so uncomfortable for so many of us that we just absolutely rocket or blast through making a purchase or selecting a tip or signing our name. We don't stop and breathe and let our somatic system relax. We're in a state of flight pretty much. When we're in that in that space, when we just want it to be off of our shoulders, we want to move quickly past something, we often sprint in the wrong direction because we just want to run. We want to go, but we don't even look at where we're going. And what ends up happening is we end up, number one, burning a lot of energy, but also creating a lot of redundancies in our life. So if we're going in the wrong direction, 20 miles, we're going to have to loop back, (laughs) you know, come back to our starting point and go back in a different direction. That's a lot of gas we've wasted. So just clock for yourself, which of those might you be? And maybe maybe you've done all of them. Maybe it's a little bit of all three or all four, whatever. Either way, if you're feeling stuck, one of the best ways to break out of analysis paralysis is to realize that you do not need a perfect roadmap. All that you need is an archetypal journey. And archetypal journeys are fucking sick because first and foremost, they're universal and they're super easy to spot. Not only are they easy to spot in the obvious things like books and movies and TV, but they're also very easy to spot in real people, like in people that we look up to and maybe the careers of people that we follow over a period of time. We can begin to clock archetypal journeys in our own backyard. And that makes a really big difference if you're feeling stuck because you can see into the future. For many of us who have squiggly brains or who are nonlinear thinkers, it feels impossible to see the future just because of our relationship to time. <laughs> Sometimes we have time blindness. Sometimes we're hyper aware of time, uh, but but often it where you have a nonlinear relationship to time, which time is not linear anyway, so it's all good. But it can be very hard for us to sort of project ourselves into the future, which is why we often procrastinate 
it's often why we don't always see, we, we act what someone might call impulsively, and we don't always think through what the outcome might be with our action because we can really only plan for the future when it's right ahead of us, the immediate future. Everything else feels totally up in the air. It almost might, might feel like you're, you're looking at a black hole <laughs> when you think about the future for yourself. And what can help is not thinking about yourself, but looking at the future of an archetype journey, sort of clocking it, watching it and saying, ah, okay, right. Noting that if I go down this path, this archetypal journey, this archetypal experience, which just means it's a universal experience, is probably going to happen for me in a similar way. Now, will it be like detail for detail the same? No, absolutely not. Probably not. But a lot of the beats will be there. So if you're feeling stuck, now is the time to either notice the archetype journey that you are on and map it out, begin to map it for yourself, or identify the archetypal journey that you want to follow that you've seen in the world. I'll give you an example. When I first started holisticism, I had been working in tech for a while and I wanted to, well, I wanted to start my own business, right? Like I'd started this thing and I was like, well, shit, this is doing well. So I need to figure out how to make this a thriving business. It was just an email newsletter and a community and I wanted to build it into something, right? So I had a couple of options, but I'd never, you know, really, I'd spent so much time in tech that what I was used to seeing, the archetypal journey I was used to seeing of an entrepreneur was someone who goes out, raises money from venture capitalists, and then creates a business, really grinds hard for a short period or sometimes a long period of time, sort of burns a lot of bridges, loses a lot of friendships, has a very unbalanced relationship to work and life, and then hopefully, cross your fingers, has a good payout at some point. But when I really watched this archetypal journey, I realized I didn't want it. I didn't want to burn out. I didn't want to dedicate some of the best years of my life to a business for no reason, you know, just to make money. That wasn't really the point. I didn't want to forsake love and relationships and pleasure and vacations and joy and abundance just to work hard. That didn't seem worth it to me. And that really helped me get so crystal clear that what I needed to do in order to help this business survive and to live the life I wanted to live, ultimately do my my sacred work here, was not raise money <laughs> and was to go in a totally different direction. Because when I looked, I found it very difficult to find a single person who represented the archetype of the entrepreneur that I wanted to be, who had raised money from investors, the, the way that I was going about it. I I really had a difficult time finding people. And I, and I looked really hard for a really long time. Not to say it's impossible, just that was my experience. And that led me to realize that I actually was on a completely different archetype journey because I did not want to follow in those footsteps. I was more on an intuitive creator or intuitive leader archetypal journey. And that sounded a lot healthier, a lot better, and a lot more exciting to me. So you're going to start to notice archetypal journeys everywhere as you kind of walk through this process yourself. The first thing I would say is look to real people. So look to the people that you admire and 
just watch their evolution or track their evolution over time. Go listen to podcasts that they're on, read their books, read articles about them. Oh my gosh, like go on their LinkedIn, you know, scroll back on their Instagram, see how they've evolved over time, how they've changed over time, because that is a key point of an archetypal journey. It's evolution, baby. And you know, that's interesting. We don't give people a lot of time or patience to evolve, to change in this digital age, but it's necessary. And like it's happening anyways. So just notice that for yourself. And I would say, again, go to real people. When in doubt, go to real people. But you can also look at stories, movies, books, even songs, and clock the archetypal journeys there. But you'll know an archetypal journey when you see it because it has four key moments. The first is a set of archetypes. It can have three to maybe even 10 archetypes that someone goes through and transitions from. And I'll give you an example a little later in the episode. But let's say maiden to mother to crone. That's a very basic, classic, traditional archetypal journey. So a person starts as the maiden, evolves into the mother, and then evolves into the crone. And they're shifting and changing over time. It might be a period of years. It might be a period of months. It might be a period of weeks. Who knows? It depends on the person and how quickly they're moving. Archetypes are effectively the characters you identify as. And remember, if you if you don't know all about archetypes, we have a ton of podcast episodes on them, but it's a quick refresher. Archetypes are just the universal language of all humanity. Um, when we say mother in any culture, the representation of who a mother is, the sort of broad strokes of who a mother is, are obvious no matter and are, are the same, no matter what language we speak, no matter how we grew up. It's the same thing with books and stories and mythology. Joseph Campbell is a great person to double click on if you want to study more about archetypes, and so is Carolyn Miss. But archetypes are, I feel like they're very common, in, which is great. I love i love seeing more discourse about them. Oh, I also love the archetypes deck by Kim Kranz if you want to really dive into archetype work. Okay. So the first key element in an archetypal journey is like, duh, it's archetypes, kind of important. Ah, okay. The next thing that an archetype journey has is our milestones. So these milestones are checkpoints in each archetype's life. And any archetype can have a number of milestones, but they'll be almost like key points in the video game level that you need to pass in order to get to the next level. They're not tests. They're not, not anything that's, you know, it's no big thing. It doesn't have to be hard. It ain't that deep. But these milestones, for example, for let's say the CEO archetype, it might be hiring an assistant. It might be reaching a certain level of compensation. For the mother, the milestone might be at some point in the mother archetype giving birth, right? That's the beginning of what represents the archetype of the mother. So milestones are just checkpoints in a character's life or in that archetype's life. The next thing that archetypal journeys have are initiations. Initiations can also look like a dark night of the soul. So they can look like challenges. Initiations are challenges. 
And an initiation, think of it like a boss level (laughs) in a video game where you're running up against something that is challenging. And in order to move forward, you have to overcome it, right? And of course, every archetype has forward motion. No archetype is meant to be like the be-all, end-all. We are constantly evolving and changing and in a cycle, right? Always. There's never an end point. That's the beautiful thing about our sacred work. (laughs) Beautiful and vexing. So every archetype has a sort of goal and a trajectory, I guess we could say, towards their initiation towards those points, whether they are high points or what feel like low points that are just part of it, that are just part of overcoming and and becoming. For example, the seeker archetype, which we're going to talk about in a second, is, you know, they're motivated by knowing the truth to move forward and to evolve into the next level of the seeker. They need to learn that they don't need to know everything, right? In order to move into action because the shadowy element of the seeker is to always be seeking, to never be happy with that knowledge, to be a rolling stone. We all know someone like this who is always throwing money at a new digital course or is always seeing a new type of healer or is taking yet another certification in that quest for knowledge, but they're not really progressing as a person. It's almost like they're distracting themselves from their own development and from their own growth by seeking, 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 again, overwhelming themselves with knowledge, right? They're constantly looking, exploring, and learning indiscriminately. These are the type of people who fall into cults, you know? Like, and hey, whom amongst us hasn't almost joined a cult? Am I right? I mean, we are in the cult of wellness. So the milestone or initiation for a seeker would be this wake up where they find their guru and then often they have a negative experience with that guru, sort of a fall from grace. So the seeker will find someone, a teacher that they admire, that they love, that they would literally lick their feet after they had run 12 miles in the 103 degree Austin weather, because we know gurus love to go to Austin. The seeker's like, yes, please, thank you. I will have more. At some point in the seeker's journey, they realize that the guru doesn't know everything, that the guru might actually be wrong. The guru falls off the pedestal. This can also be a parent or a parent-like figure. And the seeker doesn't fall apart and say, oh my God, this is a false idol. I'm, I'm issuing everything. I'm going to go look for another guru. When they've sort of progressed past that initiation of getting burned and realizing that even our most helpful teachers are human beings, <laughs> mortals, mutable souls who make mistakes, then they can move on to the next level, the next archetype. They've learned their lesson. And that is the evolution. And the evolution is therefore the fourth key moment that comes up in our in archetypal journey. So the evolution is almost that transitory period between one archetype and the next archetype. Once you've metabolized the lesson that comes with your initiation, you step into that next archetype. And by the way, you can't fail a lesson. You're not not passing tests or whatever. That's that's not it. <laughs> you're you're doing fine. <laughs> your initiation can be challenging and it can be long and it can make you question yourself and that's okay. That's what initiations are supposed to do. That's what a dark night of the soul is supposed to do. And the beautiful thing about an archetypal journey 
is that we know we are going to have milestones and we are going to have initiations. We are going to have dark nights of the soul. And they are going to look very similar for every archetype. You know, for the archetype of the seeker, I already explained to you what the initiation or the dark night of the soul might be. We know that if we're on the path of the seeker, we eventually will question our teacher, the teacher that we love and admire and think is amazing. And instead of being resentful towards that person, we can say, oh my gosh, I'm evolving. This is sick, which is really cool. And archetypal journeys, now that you sort of know the key, the core elements to it, Again, you can start to map them out for yourself. You'll see them in people around you. Maybe you'll be a little bit like me and you'll be like, oh shit, I don't want to go down this archetypal journey. I see how this goes. I think often about, you know, when people who work in corporate jobs look at the person who's got, you know, who's three (laughs) rungs up on the ladder, on the corporate ladder from them. And they're like, oh my God, but I don't want that person's life. And that's often what makes them quit, right? Great example of an archetypal journey of seeing, wow, okay, I know I'm at this stage. I know that I'm going to evolve if I stay on this path. And I actually don't really like where that leads. So I'm going to pick a new path. And this, just this concept of archetypal journeys, of knowing that we're going to have milestones, of knowing that we're going to have challenges that come up, can help us get out of analysis paralysis because we can kind of begin to vision the future. And we know it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows and farting glitter. There's going to be a lot of that, but that's not everything that it is. And that's okay because we have this roadmap of people who have come before us, the archetypal journey that's come before us, at least the broad strokes of it. We know that we will get through that dark night of the soul. And we know that once we pass that initiation, or move through that initiation. I don't I want I don't even want to use a single word that could be associated with passing or failing. Once we move through that initiation, metabolize is a good word. We'll move on to the next archetype. And that makes it so much less scary in my opinion. For example, we know that if we're going to embody the teacher archetype, there will be a point in our lives or in our experience where our students doubt us and question us. And where maybe they actually really don't even like us anymore. And that's just part of it. I think a lot about influencers and how the evolution of an influencer, this is archetypal journey of an influencer is really interesting for lots of reasons, but they often start as sort of like the relatable person next door, person who you could talk about and who you feel like you could talk about anything with. And then they begin to get more famous or get more press or get more followers. And then they very quickly move out of relatability because they are, they are truly no longer relatable anymore. Right. Um, and, and the people who loved them, who were obsessed with them, who maybe like were a little unhealthily obsessed with them, begin to resent them because we just see too much of them. We're like overexposed to these influencers in these parasocial relationships. And that can lead to resentment, um, anger, like even though a person, an influencer, whomever, maybe hasn't changed that much, but it feels personal that they've changed. And that's just part of the archetypal journey. It's there's no meaning making to, to be found there. There's, there's no meaning. It just is. It's part of it. 
And if you know that going into maybe if you want to become an influencer, your experience, you know that some of your greatest fans in the beginning are also going to become some of the biggest detractors that you have at some point. They will come back around because that's part of the archetypal journey. Then you can be prepared for that criticism when it happens as opposed to taking it personally. So we talk a lot about archetypes inside of the North Node. The North Node is our mem- private members community for intuitive entrepreneurs, intuitive creators, and intuitive leaders. People basically who have squiggly brains, who want to be the, you know, who want to like walk the walk of their sacred work, right? And are often using vehicles like businesses or creative projects to expand into their sacred work. So there's an archetypal journey or an archetypal experience of a North Node member, that sort of intuitive entrepreneur or that intuitive creator, intuitive leader. So the first step is the seeker. We've already kind of talked about the seeker and who they might be. Some of the milestones of the seeker are greater self-knowledge. And this can come in many different ways, right? It can come as understanding your astrology or your human design, or honestly, just getting to know yourself a little bit more, maybe doing some shadow work. The next step is the detective. The detective is a lot more suspicious in a good way, a little bit more skeptical than the seeker was. Remember our seeker was sweet baby angel who maybe was not so discerning. Well, the detective has learned after going through that initiation of their guru or their teacher sort of falling off the pedestal, they're more discerning and they choose, they actively choose as opposed to sort of hoovering information in. They're more selective. They are a little bit more skeptical, maybe because they've been burned or jaded. And instead of copying other people, just trying to replicate, they begin to create rituals and systems for themselves. And they begin to think beyond personal development or, you know, just getting more money, whatever that initiation or that initial push was to you know, walk someone down the seeker path, they begin to expand beyond that a little bit more. And some of their milestones are slaughtering of the sacred cow, which sounds violent, but just means that maybe the meaning-making system that they were married to, that they grew up with, that they've used to make sense of the world up until now gets rocked or challenged. And they move from the sidelines to the arena. It's very easy to be judgmental and to call that discernment when you're sitting on the sidelines. But when you move into the arena, it's a lot harder and you have a lot more compassion, which is a really important part of the detective. The detective can be very compassionate. And so that's the initiation of the detective. And they eventually move into, after creating their own frameworks and, you know, progressing on their own path, understanding what what they care about and why, and really questioning, does this work, maybe that I'm sitting, apply to me? Or do I can I take it with a grain of salt? They're ready to move on to the alchemist. The alchemist is the third stage of the archetypal journey of an intuitive creator, an intuitive entrepreneur. And the alchemist is all about applying and transforming. I've had plenty of time when they were in seeker mode to take in information. They also learned how to be discerning in detective mode. And now as the alchemist, they're actually going to implement those beautiful skills that they've picked up over time. You start to see magic. Your actions begin to make to create quantum leaps for you. And you become this sort of hybrid, 
not just intellectual and skeptical, not just a sort of mystical, bright-eyed dreamer seeker. You integrate both sides of the self. And for them to move forward, they really need to feel confident being intuitive and intellectual. There's power in practical magic. And the alchemist at its best knows that. The initiation of the alchemist is to embrace their inner magician or their inner witch. And that often means stepping out into the role model role, being able to be seen by other people. That's really when your magic becomes amplified. And that can be really challenging, right? Because think about all, everything that comes, all the baggage that comes with being seen or that comes with becoming a role model for other people. It can be very stressful. And it can also mean that people are projecting their stuff onto you. So at this point, you as the alchemist have to be really strong in your sense of self, who, what you know to be true about you. And that's, again, really important for your magic to happen because if you believe what everyone around you tells you you are, you will never be able to know yourself. And if you don't know yourself, you cannot see what your magical superpowers are. You just can't. You can't make your magic work because you're waiting on other people to affirm you. After the alchemist is the advocate, which is one of my favorite archetypes. And I think it's one that people sleep on (laughs) because it maybe doesn't sound so sexy. But if we think of the first three archetypes of the archetypal journey of the intuitive entrepreneur, seeker, detective, alchemist, they're pretty self-centered. I don't say that in a mean way. I say that in a, we put on our own life vest and we put on our own oxygen mask before we can put on the oxygen masks of the people around us. It's fine. We need to do that. Sometimes we need to look internally and be a little bit selfish before we can reach out and help other people. So the advocate is that turning point for me, at least in this journey, where we start to look beyond ourselves and we start to focus on bringing in community. That doesn't mean we haven't done it in the past. It just becomes a greater priority for us. The advocate is always impacting and disrupting. That is their role. They realize that their work and success means very little if they don't take other people with them. Often because they've achieved some level of success, that's why they've become a role model as an alchemist, but they've realized how lonely it is to just be a role model, right? You want other people around you and you want people to see you not just as this person on a pedestal because trust us, we've already been there before. We want us to people, we want people to see us as human. I love the initiation for the advocate because it's often... (laughs) Two things that are really scary for a lot of us. First, experiencing a personal injustice. So realizing, unfortunately, that the world is not fair, that we need people to advocate for us, and that others need to be advocated for because we have been wronged. It sucks. It's a shitty thing to go through, but I'm sure many of us can identify with it. And the other initiation that the advocate has is making a huge mistake, making a huge flub, like maybe even getting, dare I say, publicly chastised. That happens as the advocate because guess what? You're not just looking at yourself. You're not just thinking about yourself. You all of a sudden are concerned with other people. And that means you have to be seen by other people. You have to open yourself up. And when we open ourselves up, often, and we're vulnerable, we might get criticized. And we might make mistakes. (laughs) In fact, we're going to make mistakes. But that's a necessary part of being the advocate and moving on to our final archetype, which is the visionary. Ugh, love the visionary. The visionary is in creation mode and they are in 
thriving mode all the time. How you know you're the visionary, other people's vision of success does not matter to you. If you are still using the barometer of success for your Uncle Peter and for your dad and for your next door neighbor and for your old boss, then you're not quite at the visionary level yet. You gracefully can dance between the ordinary and the special world. Remember those two things came together when you were the alchemist and you have a supportive ecosystem and you know how to build support financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically. If you don't have that, you are not at visionary level yet. That's okay. It's something to work towards, right? But that's how you know you're there. And to move forward, because this is a cycle, we're going to go back to our seeker point. You're ready to begin again, and you're also ready to question what you think you know, which is a very brave place to be. Some of the initiations and milestones that the visionary has is the dark night of the soul, really questioning existentially, why am I doing this? What am I here for? What's my purpose? To what end, basically? You might also have the loss of old community and old competitors, people who used to really grind your gears or who you used to be scared of. You no longer think about and community members who maybe were with you for a long time or people who were in your in your pack. Maybe you've just fallen out of touch with them or you've realized that you've grown away from each other. And again, you're okay with that. You'll also notice at the visionary level that people will challenge you or copy your vision. You know you're at the visionary level when you have people that are trying to duplicate your work and pass it off as their own. And it can be very frustrating, but it will happen just like the healing spiral does more and more and more often until you move through it, until you do the work to move through it. Which brings you all the way back to that secret place because often when we have this dark night of the soul as a visionary, we really are questioning, why am I doing this? Why did I build this thing? Have I gotten what I wanted to get out of it? And we realize that there's something to be lacking or there's something new that we want to explore now that we've gone through this big journey. And that brings us back into beginner mode, which can be really, really exciting. So that's the archetypal journey of an intuitive entrepreneur or creator or leader. And it's what we use inside of the North Node. Now in the North Node at every archetypal step, stage, we have a whole curriculum, whole many courses that will get you from, let's say, seeker level to detective level, detective level to alchemist level, and so on and so on and so on. There's also some financial goals that we associate with the North Node, in the North Node, with each archetype. But, you know, those are different for each person. And maybe, you know, maybe you don't associate financial goals with different archetypes on the journey, but maybe you do. In fact, maybe that makes it even easier for you to think of someone who's going from the detective to the alchemist as maybe someone who's starting their business, from someone who's going from alchemist to advocate, you know, the type of person who's going from 10,000, making $10,000 a month to $20,000 a month. The visionary, maybe you know that that's someone who's making over $50,000 a month, whatever it might be. That's how we define it, but you don't have to define it that way. And your archetypal journey, I'm positive it's, you know, you're probably thinking of things beyond the intuitive entrepreneur or the intuitive creator. Your archetypal journey might look totally different. Maybe you're thinking of the archetypal journey of the boundless creative, someone who goes from starving artist to mm, up and coming artist to media darling to superstar and whatever comes beyond that. 
maybe there's something else like the confident lover or the person who is in partnership. That is totally an archetypal journey (laughs) that we've all been through, right? There are so, there are infinite archetypal journeys. And I find it so fun to start to look at these from a high level. And I think you will too. It always helps my anxiety (laughs) and keeps me from stressing out too much about things. And it also just, as an anxious person over here, me, myself, I, with a really squiggly brain, you know, I like to know what the future looks like, but it's hard for me to picture it. I like a curriculum, but I don't like too rigid of a curriculum. I like to be able to sort of sneak peek into the future and say, okay, I know that's going to happen. So let me prepare for it. And I don't want to prevent it from happening. I know, you know, that it's important to go through these challenging initiations. Like that is where the gold is made, right? That's where we find ourselves. That's where we get to know ourselves. And that's really the point of all this shit, right? Being in these human meat suits. I don't want to bypass them. I want to go through them and I want to be prepared and resource myself so that when I do go through them, I don't have to languish in the pain of it for too long or for longer than I need to, longer than is necessary. I'm not trying to speed through things, but I am trying to take an easeful route towards some of those lessons that might feel really hard or challenging. I've noticed such a big difference in my personal life when I I'm open to the archetypal journey that's before me. Right now, I'm thinking a lot about motherhood and, you know, becoming a working mom and a CEO with a child (laughs) who's running their own business. And I'm just clocking a couple different archetypal paths or journeys that I've seen in the people around me. And I'm really grateful that I'm not on the corporate path because that would look really different. But I also know that there's going to be times where I really doubt myself, where I feel like I'm doing a really shitty job, <laughs> where I, I feel terrible. And that's part of the archetypal experience. Like that's just part of it. And if I can prepare myself now for going through that, if I can resource myself and my partner now then when that inevitably happens, instead of it being something that I, hopefully cross our fingers, languish in for five months, I can sit in it for five minutes and move through it and remember who the fuck I am and get back on my path and do my thing, you know? So that's archetypal journeys. And I'm really curious to hear what your archetypal journey is, maybe what you think you're on right now, or if you want us to unpack an archetypal journey for you, we can do a little case study. So let, let me know on Instagram. Shoot us a note at holisticism. And I would be so, so grateful if you share this podcast, if you've ever gotten anything valuable out of the 12th House podcast, any episode, including this one, with a friend. It makes such a big difference. Just shoot him a little message, say, this is a podcast about mystical productivity and you're going to love it. And drop it in their, in their DMs, you know? or share on Instagram and tag us. We will reshare you to our audience. And if you're really feeling like you want to spread the love, you want to give an energetic exchange, if you would be willing to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts for us, that would be amazing. We'd be so grateful. And if you have constructive feedback for us, we're always down to hear that. And we'd love to get it via email (laughs) as opposed to in a one-star review. Because, you know, makes it a little bit harder for us to improve the podcast. <laughs> we, we always want to make this thing better. 
So if you have constructive feedback, we'd love to hear it. You can catch us at hello at ohulisticism.com. And I think that's pretty much it. Next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about creators and creator communities and creator systems. We have a really exciting creator that's going to be on and I can't wait for you to meet them. So make sure that you're subscribed to the 12th house podcast. And if you want even more of me and Wallace, you can also subscribe to our other podcast. Good for you. Good for you is a lighthearted, unhinged look at conscious wellness consumerism from an inside voice lens. It's really funny and really weird. It's very different than the 12th house, but if you just want more holisticism all the time, then you might want to check it out. All right. That's all that I have for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And I will see you on the internet.